0: This episode of the What the Fintech podcast is sponsored by Swift. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures. And for this episode, we're joined by Jack Puderoyan, innovation manager at Swift. Jack, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Paul. Thanks a lot for having me. Excited to be here.
0: It's great to have you here. Just to get started, would you like to quickly let us know a bit more about yourself and, and the work you're doing at Swift um.
1: Yeah, sure. So I've been with Swift for about two years. I sit as part of our strategy and innovation team as a lead looking at all of our initiatives related to digital assets, digital currencies, and the, all the digital networks underneath. So I, I represent Swift on various industry initiatives, like the Regulated Liability Network, for example. I've been involved for running some of our experimentation in the space. So notably, for example, blockchain interoperability experiment last year. And our team is also responsible for uh, a CBDC sandbox where we're testing out different interlinking, network interlinking types of solutions with uh, the community.
0: Excellent. Sounds great. Again, it's great to have you here. And thanks so much for taking the time out to speak with us today. On the show this week, we'll be taking a look at tokenization in financial services and the impact this technology could have on the sector, as well as the growing need for blockchain interoperability and how Swift is collaborating with other companies to solve challenges in this area to enable blockchain technology to reach its full potential. In particular, we'll hear more about the POC Swifts conducted with Chainlink and a dozen other companies on blockchain interoperability, which aim to leverage the Swift network to transfer tokenized assets across public and private blockchains, potentially removing a huge hurdle in the adoption of tokenization. That's all to come a bit later, but as always, to get us started is our news and number segments. This is where our guest has gone out to find a news story
1: featuring an interesting number to discuss. So Jack, what have you brought along for us today? Sure, so I mean there's a lot of different news articles going on in this space. Um, I chose one that's maybe a few months old but it's is quite timely and it's really around the, the I guess the, the kind of three is the number. and it's the three different solution trials or experiments that are being tested by a variety of central banks as it relates to the use of central bank money in wholesale settlement for DLT networks. So I think this was it's been a long time coming, but the euro system in December, made a call for participants for its wholesale settlement trials for DLT networks using central bank money. And a large part of that is really around this kind of focus on leveraging central bank money as the kind of safest risk-free settlement asset to settle transactions on DLT networks. And so as part of it and why it's timely now, we just had the deadline for submissions for the first wave come through this past week. And so you have central banks of Germany, France, and Italy, each responsible for championing or trialing different particular solutions in the market. I think this is a kind of a, a really strong sign of, of central bank and you know, support and various industry market participants coming together to start to test how transactions can efficiently and effectively settle on DLT networks, specifically with on-chain forms of, of cash or other forms of central bank money, so to speak. And so I think this is really a good moment kind of marking the industry driving forward.
0: You know, definitely. It's, it's really interesting. As you mentioned, the trials and experiments are hoping to take place later this year. With this activity going on in this space, then what's the most exciting thing for you then about these kind of experiments taking place with some of the larger Eurozone economies as well? And what would you say the next steps to, to come from these experiments?
1: Yeah, I think it's a kind of testament to the overall focus that institutions, both public and private sector have on tokenization and the ability of DLT networks potentially you know, drive real benefits in industry. And what we'll come to a little bit later as well is the push for the industry to have forms of of cash for settlement, whether they're on-chain or off-chain. And so I think what we see here is a a variety of different potential solutions that can start to solve that payment leg, specifically as we look at delivery versus payment or payment versus payment type solutions um, and looking at secure and scalable ways of, of having payment legs. Leveraging central bank money, of course, that's only one particular form of cash or payment leg, but certainly an instrumental one specifically as we look at securities markets. So I think we'll see over the next five or six months submissions for the various waves around delivery versus payment and payment versus payment use cases, testing out these different trials and solutions. And then looking to see reports on the back of that from various industry participants and what's actually been submitted and, and tested. I think this is going to be really important And taking the findings and seeing how that can help drive the industry forward towards scalable and, and sustainable types of solutions.
0: Excellent. And looking at CBDCs in general, we've had the recent news that Donald Trump essentially saying that he wouldn't allow the creation of a CBDC in the US if he wins the next election. In the UK, there's recently, the Treasury and the Bank of England have recently said that they'll continue work in the area, but no financial decision has been made for a potential launch yet. So where would you say we are now globally then in terms of the outlook on CBDCs then? Is there still good optimism there and, and what killer use case are, are industry players really pushing for and waiting for that?
1: It's a really good question. I think you can come at this and look at it in a couple of ways. I think first and foremost is probably distinguishing between the types of CBDCs that there are. So really thinking about a wholesale CBDC that's meant for financial institutions and wholesale settlement versus a a retail or general purpose CBDC, which is something that's meant for the general public. And if we think around central bank money today, you have reserves and you have cash and central bank reserves are, are already digital in a sense. So I think whether or not you actually believe in in central bank digital currencies, I think it's important to understand which CBDCs you're actually referring to. And then I think ultimately the, the momentum is quite clear in the industry. You have something north of, kind of 95 or 98% of central banks that are exploring CBDCs actively, and that represents a vast majority of the global GDP today. And so I think it, it really will come down to specific use cases, but I think that's gonna be probably a bit easier and more near-term on the wholesale CBDC side, just given that it's very akin to what we have today in terms of digital reserves. And then I think the other aspect is that this is going to be a kind of a a long journey and period of coexistence, and it'll be staggered across different jurisdictions. And ultimately that's going to depend on each jurisdiction's kind of use cases and rationale for bringing a, or looking to bring a CBDC into the fold. Different jurisdictions have different policy objectives and goals And so I think we'll see a very kind of mixed bag over the the next uh, number of years in the rollout of of CBDCs and how those fit into the, the ecosystem of money across different jurisdictions.
0: So I think diving into tokenization then, I mean, just for a quick overview for those who aren't familiar, could you give a quick explanation about what tokenization is, the potential it has, and and why it's relevant then for traditional financial institutions?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think in the most general sense, tokenization typically refers to digitally transforming assets or claims on those assets into digital tokens that can be represented on a common programmable platform like a blockchain. And so that's done through the use of smart contracts, where the smart contract code actually encompasses the essential elements of an underlying asset. So for example, asset definitions and characteristics or term sheets. And then it also then controls the the methods by which users can actually interact with that token. So you can start to build a programmable logic into the actual asset, the token itself. So for example, you can think about things around compliance considerations that you can start to build in. So there's, I think, a lot of new functionality that can come from that. I think more broadly, the appeal of tokenization is generally thought to have a number of different facets. And I think some of the value that it ultimately drives really depends on kind of what degree tokenization can live up to in terms of its full potential and how soon we actually get there as an industry. But some of the more commonly cited benefits include things like increased efficiency, improved liquidity, enhanced collateralization. So if you think around efficiency, and then we think around the kind of drive for automation through technology for a number of years... I guess when I think around tokenization, it's uh, a good example is by having various different financial assets and liabilities all represented in a normalized or or kind of tokenized way and living on a common substrate, you can start to have more complex and multi-party transactions that can be enabled by linking previously disjointed processes and business transactions together into single digital workflows. So a notion that's typically referred to as composability. And so you start to see some application of that and that could enable improvements In areas like asset servicing or corporate actions that could really benefit from greater automation. But there's a number of use cases. On the liquidity front, I think you can start to see that potentially being achieved in kind of two different ways. So, first, by enabling a broader investor base through fractionalizing uh, assets into kind of smaller denominations that's enabled through tokens. And then, secondly, you can start to bring greater liquidity into what are historically more illiquid asset classes like private markets or or maybe those that have less mature infrastructure in place today, like ESG or or nature-based assets, which are are relatively new. And then maybe a final point just around enhanced collateralization. I think what tokenization can potentially enable is increasing the addressable market for assets, which can actually be collateralized by becoming a token and then used as collateral for loans, which then can increase the level of credit and and lending in the real economy. So I think there's a number of different benefits. I think those are, are just a couple of them. But I think if we're early days and keen to see how these benefits can evolve.
0: Looking at banks and financial institutions, then, I mean, what would you say then? I mean, you've listed a, a whole range of kind of use cases there. What would you say has been holding back their adoption of blockchain technology and tokenization? Yet, do you think it's just waiting for to see how this develops, or is it just not knowing exactly the, the, the key benefits they can get from it?
1: It's a good question, and there's probably a number of hurdles that have been getting in the way of more accelerated adoption, and maybe one of The largest hurdles is just the kind of lack of truly mature infrastructure in the space and then the resulting lack of widely adopted industry standards and market practices uh, and things like that. And so it's not to say that infrastructure isn't developing and and banks and and other financial institutions are not putting in the effort because on quite the contrary, but I think it's something that just takes time to evolve and mature. And so seemingly every large financial institution has been investing in their own tokenization platforms for their own customer bases and use cases. But oftentimes that's done using a range of different technologies and and protocols. And so then you're kind of left in a situation where you have perhaps a lack of inherent interoperability between systems, which then can result in things like fragmentation of liquidity and impacts to payments and transactions kind of flow in more smoothly, which I think we'll come to a bit later. Then, of course, you have the often cited topic around clarity of legislation and regulation. I think one example here is what is the legal enforceability of a token versus its backing kind of underlying real asset. And we are actually seeing a lot of movement and development in this space. And we're seeing this progress across various jurisdictions, but at the same time, it is still inconsistent and not harmonized among jurisdictions. So similar to CBDCs, it's something that I think we're going to see staggered development across different jurisdictions. However, I will say I would expect a lot of, a lot further progress on this front in the near to medium term, as you can start to see regulators working more closely together, progressively across different jurisdictions. And then you have things like ongoing debate between kind of pros and cons of, of public versus private blockchains. What are the real use cases, where are the business cases driving investment and so forth. So I, I think there's a number of different things that have a converging that maybe cause things to not be adopted perhaps as quickly as people would hope.
0: Yeah, and it, it definitely seems like tokenization especially has been building as a topic recently. It seems like there's a lot more conversations going on around it. When you're at conferences or having discussions now around tokenization, how are they going at the moment? Are they, is there optimism there? Are they different from what they were like a year or two ago?
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, asset tokenization in particular is a trend has picked up speed, as you mentioned, over the past couple of years, and it, it just continues to be a hot topic within the financial industry. In terms of what's changed, I would say I think despite the, the hype and the potential and alleged benefits, you know, from the conversation that we're having, it's clear that there's an increasing focus and desire to move past pure experimentation and proofs of concept and really starting to get into to actual use cases and business cases. Right. So business leaders and PNL owners are rightfully looking to understand where is the money, whether it's on the kind of net new revenue side of things or whether on the cost efficiency side. And then you know, what's the actual business case for them to invest here? I think a lot of these efforts have started grassroots from within digital asset divisions at institutions, but ultimately they need to get folded into the real business side. And so that's certainly an increasing focus. And so I think you start to see a bit more focus on these specific use cases where you, you can see concrete traction and benefits. For example, an area you know, that I can see real movement on is in intraday repos where you have the use of blockchain and tokenization enabling more precise and automated settlement of those transactions. And so it's something that's very real and and tangible. Uh, And so I think we'll see more of that coming in the next couple of months.
0: Excellent, excellent. So looking then uh, at the work Swift has been doing in the area then, can you tell us a bit more about the experience you've been conducting with Euroclear and Chainlink and some of the world's largest financial institutions and what was the result of the, the POC that you've been carrying out with them?
1: Yeah, sure. So we've been in discussions around tokenized assets, probably going back to early 2022 and did an initial experiment that year to connect up a couple of different private tokenization platforms, just really dipping our toe in the space. But more recently, the experiment that we did last year with over a dozen institutions and Chainlink was really focused on how can we allow the Swift community to leverage all of the existing infrastructure that we have in place today around Swift connectivity, messaging standards, etc., to be able to start to interact with this kind of new tokenized ecosystem in a way that doesn't require them to invest in entirely parallel infrastructure. So I think one of the key challenges is there's a lot of different blockchain networks or DLT platforms that are out there in the market today. But the challenge that institutions have is understanding which ones they need to connect to, which ones will still be around in a number of years. How do you mitigate the risk and the actual cost and overhead and complexity of connecting into all these different chains? And so we heard a lot of questions from our institutions saying, we have all this massive investment built up in Swift. How can we leverage that to start to access these ecosystems? And so that really was the the kind of foundation for the experiment that we ran last year, which effectively had us partner with Chainlink as a technical partner to allow our institutions to send standing Swift messages, do a kind of a translation into message requirements that are necessary for these different blockchain networks. And between Swift and Chainlink, having joint orchestration to settle transactions across different types of blockchain networks, whether they're public or private chains. And really what this kind of demonstrated beyond just the technical feasibility of doing so was that there, there's a, kind of a much quicker path that's possible to enabling adoption of tokenized assets. Because if we're really looking at the development of, a, of an entirely parallel infrastructure here, we talk around what are the hurdles of getting institutions on board there. I mean, that's kind of probably the biggest hurdle you have, right? The amount of investment and time that's required to get there. So we had a really good proof of concept, a lot of good feedback from the industry. It's something that has laid the groundwork for a lot of the work that we're we're continuing to do out of the public eye, so to speak.
0: And on that front, so what are the next steps then following on from this project now with the, the findings that you now have from the experiment?
1: So the project itself has wrapped up, right? We issued a report at the end of August last year, announcing the results. And now in line with the spirit of moving beyond experimentation and just proving out technical capabilities, we've been spending a lot of time developing an internal productization roadmap that will support the Swift community in transacting with tokenized assets. So there's several parts to that. One of the largest focus areas is really around solving for the payment leg in particular for kind of delivery versus payment transactions. So you can think around payment or cash leg can be a variety of different options, whether we're talking about traditional forms of payment through correspondent banking or RTGS type infrastructure, as well as some of the, the kind of newer on-chain cash like constructs, whether that be something like a central bank digital currency or even tokenized commercial bank money in the form of tokenized deposits or regulated stable coins or, or a combination thereof. I think ultimately there's a desire for the market to have a form of cash on chain to enable truly atomic settlement. But we also recognize the need to enable optionality and support a variety of different types of of options there. So that's, I would say, a large area of focus for us going forward.
0: Excellent. We hear a lot about blockchain interoperability now at the moment as well. So why is that so important? And what progress are we seeing on initiatives trying to solve that at present?
1: I would actually say it's, it's a bit about the blockchain interoperability. So connecting two different types of blockchains, for example, but equally and and probably more important is also about just blockchain connectivity, we'll call it. So for example, between blockchain networks and the existing off-chain infrastructure systems and applications that run the financial system today. I think this broader question of interoperability is one of the marquee challenges for the industry to address and, and can be a very real problem if it isn't. So when we think about it, for all the alleged benefits that tokenization and and blockchains can bring to the financial market, if it's inherently built in a kind of a fragmented way, then liquidity will be trapped across different types of platforms and liquidity across the market will suffer as a result. And so then the risk is that we end up in a neutral or even a kind of a net worse off position than we're in today as an industry where you have a greater number of platforms holding segregated liquidity and so I think that's probably the, the worst case that ends up happening. Now, I don't think that will end up being the, the result. And the industry, from all of our discussions, is widely aware of the importance of and the need for interoperability, which grounds a lot of the work that, that we're collectively driving forward, both at Swift and, and others within the industry. So I think it's squarely front and center in many people's minds. And that's at the heart of the, the work that we think uh, Swift plays a, a very important role in and helping the community think and drive that forward.
0: Excellent. And obviously, we're still quite early stage of the year at the moment. I mean, when you're looking ahead for the rest of 2024, 2025, I mean, what uh, do you expect now in terms of the the progress there? Are there any initiatives going on at the moment that that you're particularly excited about over the next year or so?
1: Sure. So probably at the risk of sounding redundant, I think there's a lot of focus on the the cash or payment leg and and having a form of of on-chain cash. So I think while a lot of the focus in the industry has been around CBDCs over the past couple of years, just given the profile, I think we'll start to see a lot more development around tokenized commercial bank money. So you see, there's already a number of kind of larger banks out there that have been issuing their own tokenized deposits or communities of banks looking at this uh, within certain jurisdictions. And I think that is something that will continue to pick up speed. And I think part of the reason is deposits, bank deposits are existing legal instruments today and this is a kind of a, a new technological application for it. So I think when you can leverage a lot of the existing frameworks and legal aspects in place today, I think that's something that will end up having quite a bit of power behind it. I think the other area that I'm excited about and maybe this is just the coming from Swift is really an opportunity to improve standards and market practices across the industry. So you have a lot of different token standards. So again, given that so many of these different platforms are built on different technologies or protocols, there's a wide range of different types of token standards uh, or proposed standards out there in the industry today. I think what we haven't seen is the industry really coalesce around the, the path forward specifically for regulated institutions and institutional grade tokenization. So I think that's an area that there's a real opportunity in the market and something that I think Swift will naturally be able to play a bigger role in just given our history and the work that we've already done in, in that area throughout our history.
0: Thanks again for taking the time out to speak us today, Jack. To close out the podcast, we have on now infamous fintech jail. So this is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword, or trend that you've seen or heard enough of. Jack, what would your selection be for this week?
1: Yeah, you have a quite a long list of, of words already. So I think maybe to, to offer a new one is the kind of acronym RWA as it's intended to stand for real world assets. And so I think the reason for this is that many in the, the Web3 or tokenization space continue to mention this hype of tokenizing RWA or real world assets of bringing these assets on chain for all the alleged benefits. But coming from a a career in the banking industry, the RWA term has already existed for quite some time to refer to risk-weighted assets. And so I think it's an aspect of the taxonomy and being able to speak parlance that makes sense with many of the players in the regulated institutional space today, where you have risk-weighted assets referring to bank capital rules and regulations. So I think that speaks to a need to frame the thinking within the context of more traditional concepts and, and terms that are already well understood by the community today. Yeah,
0: it's it's an interesting one. It does seem like it's a potentially redundant term in that sense then, especially when it comes to to new technology. Do you think adding new terms in for the sake of it or potentially changing acronyms like this one could put people off and actually, as you've mentioned, framing things in the context of more traditional terms would actually help more people understand and potentially boost the uptake of the technology?
1: Yeah, it's it's a really good point. I saw an article the other day think on Twitter where someone posted a a matching definitions of what's the equivalence of the traditional financial services industry versus the Web3 language, just to draw the parallels between different words. And I think it's the point you raise. It does introduce a lot of new concepts, which then leads to perhaps confusion or lack of education around that. So I think there is a lot of work that the, the kind of Web3 space can do or the industry can do to start to make the technology more easily understandable and relatable. So I certainly think it's an area that could be of focus.
0: Yeah, well, I'm more than happy to throw this one into the jar. Then like I say, I mean, it is getting quite full in there at the moment. So we may need to have a reset because it is getting quite difficult to, to come up with potentially new terms to, to check in there. But I'm more than happy for this one to go in. And again, Jack, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with us today. It's been a pleasure.
1: Absolutely, Paul. Thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate the discussion.
0: Well, that's all we have time for for this episode. Thanks, of course, to Jack for joining me. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at fintechfutures.com, on X, at Fintech Futures, and of course, on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favourite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. Thanks as well to Arama for editing this podcast. You can check them out at arama.tv. As always, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech, but until then, goodbye.